sociologists tell us that 21st century Americans have more decision stress than any other people at any other time or place in history. Uh, the reason that I have, that you have, more decision stress than anyone before is related to several factors that combine to give us more options and more choices than anyone has ever had in history before. Let me quickly uh, list the three decision pressure factors. The first factor is social freedom. Uh, just three or four generations ago, if you were a man, your career choice was pretty much made for you. You did what your father did and you lived where your father lived in the same way women did what their mothers did. But today, social freedom means our choices for where we live and what we do and what our potential career choices and paths can be is almost limitless. The second factor is worldwide communication. Uh, three or four generations ago, the majority of single people were forced to look around their town and choose between a small handful of suitable marriage partners. But today, with online dating services, today you can have an awkward first date with just about anyone around the world. And... Uh, and then the last factor I'll mention is consumer choice. Americans have more ways to earn and spend money than any people in any culture in history. Uh, take getting a car, for instance. Uh, you must decide whether you're going to lease or buy, then whether you'll buy used or new, and whether you'll pay for it with cash or credit or a loan. And if you're going to buy a new car, you need to decide the brand and the model and the style and the color and all the options. And someone actually put all these variables into a computer and uh, determine that when you buy a new car, you have to choose between 25 million car combinations. And these three factors combine to put more decision pressure on us uh, than perhaps any other people in world history. Now, sociologists have actually put a number on this decision stress. Uh, University of Minnesota researcher Dr. Eric Klinger conducted a study in which he determined that the average American is confronted with up to 17,000 decisions per day. 17,000 decisions a day. How many, how many feel overwhelmed with the idea of 17,000 decisions a day? How many just can't decide? Uh, for those of us who love God and want to please God with our lives, there is an added layer here for consideration. For those of us who want to follow Jesus, we want to listen to God and follow his path in life. So the question becomes, amidst the 17,000 decisions I am faced with every day, can I know God's will for my life? Well, God gives his answer in Scripture, and his answer is yes. Not only can I know God's will for my life, but in Scripture, God teaches me how I can know. 
And in my experience, there is one passage in Scripture that more than any other teaches me how to process the 17,000 daily decisions that confront me and teaches me how to pursue God's will for my life. So please turn your Bible to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse 3. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, that should be on page 836. Uh, Through the Apostle Paul's words uh, to the ancient church of Thessalonica, God supplies three guides uh, that lead me toward God's will for my life. And see if you can catch uh, the three guides for God's will here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject men, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So in these words, God supplies three guides to help me process the 17,000 decisions that descend upon me every day. God supplies three guides that lead me toward the best that God wants for me. Uh, But before I list these three guides, uh, let me introduce you to a few people with some difficult decisions to make. Uh, First, uh, here's Brian. Uh, Brian has a, uh, a good job here in Fairfield County, but he has just received a solid offer for another job in another state that pays substantially more money and has a greater uh, career path achievement uh, opportunity. He's got a wife and two kids, one kid entering middle school, one entering high school. What should he do? What should he do about this new job? Over here we have uh, Carolyn. Carolyn is unhappily. She is unhappy. She's she's very sad because she's in a difficult marriage. Uh, Carolyn uh, knows she nags too much and she criticizes her husband too much, but he just can't seem to even try to be the kind of husband that she needs him to be. And so Carolyn wants out of this difficult marriage. What's God's will for her? Uh, Over here we have uh, Debbie. And uh, Debbie has a husband and uh, two kids, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. And she also has a father who can no longer care for himself. Should she bring her father home into her home and care for him or put him in a 
care facility. Well, Debbie's husband is fine with either option. What should she do? And then finally, over here, we have Ethan. And Ethan is familiar with a a homeless shelter in his community. And this homeless shelter is going to close down. If someone does not step up and be a, a volunteer, a food service manager volunteer. And Ethan has never managed anything in his life, but uh, he knows that God wants him to care for the poor. Uh, what should he do? And then there's you. What decision is before you at this stage in your life? Your decision may be totally different than uh, Brian or Carolyn or uh, Debbie or Ethan. But you want to follow Jesus to your choices that are the best. God's will for you. So you need these three guides to God's will found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where guide number one is to always choose to maximize your relationship with God. This first guide appears in the first words of verse 3, which say, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So here's an infallible guide when it comes to the 17,000 decisions that come my way. I never go wrong when I choose the option that maximizes the sanctification process in my life. So, what does it mean uh, to be sanctified and to live a holy life? Well, the first thing we need to note is that the English word sanctified in verse 3 and the English word holy in verses 4 and 7, these are all the same word in the original Greek. The Greek word is hagiasmos, and this word for sanctified or holy means set apart. It means set apart for something special through separation from something common. So in this context, uh, hagiasmos is referring to a relationship with God where being sanctified and holy means separating myself for a special relationship with God by separating myself from a common relationship with sin. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, God is telling me that the first reliable guide toward God's will for my life is always choosing the option that separates me from sin and sets me apart for a closer relationship with God. Any decision I make that... Uh, puts me in a closer relationship with God, is without a doubt God's will. What First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says is this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. But just as important is to notice what First Thessalonians 4, verse 3 does not say. It does not say it is God's will for you to be popular. It is God's will for you to be rich. No. It is God's will for you to be vocationally successful. No. It is God's will that you be more and more materially comfortable. No. This is something we all need to hear, and it's something Brian uh, needs to apply to his life, who I introduced just a moment ago. Uh, like most of us in our 
consumer culture, Brian automatically assumes that if he's given an offer for another job with more advancement and more material uh, comfort, and his wife isn't against moving, he should take it and move his family out of state. But God does not say that it is his will that I should be more and more materially comfortable. No, God says that it is his will that I should be sanctified, set apart for a special relationship with him. So this means that God calls a Christ follower like Brian to separate himself from the more money, more status, more comfort obsession in our culture in order to set himself and his family apart for a closer relationship with God. And so the first question Brian should ask is not, will this job uh, opportunity maximize my comfort for my family? No. His first question should be, will this move maximize my relationship with God and each member of my family's relationship with God? I have seen so many people like Brian who have a job here who gives them, uh, which gives them time with their family, a job here which allows their kids to grow spiritually and uh, the parents to grow spiritually in a nurturing church like BlackRock. And then they trade it all for a job that requires insane hours and sends them off to a place where the kids and parents alike go spiritually adrift in a way that cannot be God's will. Now, is it always this way? No, of course not. Sometimes a family move can be a faith adventure that pulls the family together and draws everyone into a deeper relationship with God. But see, that's the point. The point is that following God's will rises and falls on asking the right first question. If you really want God's will for your life, the right first question to ask is, which choice maximizes my relationship with God? This is also the first right choice for Carolyn, who I introduced a moment ago. Um, just like Brian needs to notice that First Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 does not say it is God's will that you should be materially comfortable, uh, it is important for Carolyn to notice that First Thessalonians does not say it is God's will that you should be circumstantially comfortable. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I am not saying that God wants life to be hard. Uh, or that he wants all believers to stay in an unhappy marriage. I'm just emphasizing the truth that in God's eyes, it is much more important that I be holy than happy. In God's eyes, maximizing my relationship with him, being set apart, holy, for a relationship with him, is much more important than maximizing my circumstantial comfort. God does want to maximize joy in my life, but he doesn't do it in the way that I expect. 
I define joy as the absence of hardship, circumstantial hardship in my life. But the Bible defines joy as the presence of God in my life. So whenever I choose to maximize my relationship with God, I am choosing to maximize my joy. Putting my relationship with God first always leads to maximum happiness. But we have to get the order in the right, uh, the right uh, order. Uh, while putting my selfish comfort first does not guide me to God's best for my life, uh, and does not lead me to true happiness. When I put my relationship with God first, that's exactly where God wants to lead me. Unfortunately, Carolyn is following the wrong guide for her life. Carolyn is saying to herself, uh, it's God's will that I be happy. And this marriage does not make me happy. And so it must be God's will for me to get out of this marriage. The problem is that when Carolyn uses the it's God's will that I be happy, circumstantially comfortable guide, she is using the wrong guide. Scripture declares that it is God's will that Carolyn maximize her relationship with God first, not maximize her happiness first. Now, it could be that um, God wants Carolyn to stay in her difficult marriage because it will cause her to turn to God, depend upon God, deal with her own selfishness issues, deal uh, with what's inside her and ask for God's help and be transformed herself and then maybe experience the miracle of a restored relationship with her husband. Now, I'm not saying that every Christ follower should stay in a difficult marriage, but I am saying that every Christ follower should use God's guide for discovering his will. And God's guide is about seeking holiness first and not happiness first. And the truth is, I know of at least one instance of how God used a man's commitment to stay in a difficult marriage to make him a better person and even save the United States at the same time. The same historians who rank Abraham Lincoln as the best president our nation ever had rank Mary Todd Lincoln as the worst first lady we have ever had. Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary, was a difficult woman. She had a wild temper. She was verbally abusive to everyone, including her husband. Uh, one politician marched into the Oval Office to uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln after being insulted by the First Lady. And a Abraham Lincoln calmed him down by saying, Surely you can endure for 15 minutes what I have endured for 15 years. At one state dinner uh, uh, in the White House, uh, in a fit of rage, Mary threw a cup of coffee into Abraham Lincoln's face. She was terrible. Uh, in fact, historians argue that Mary was such an extraordinarily terrible spouse that her husband had to become an extraordinarily terrific person just to stay married. And here I quote an author named Gary Thomas. The connection one can make between Lincoln's marriage and his mission is not difficult. It's easy to see how a man who might quit on a difficult marriage would not have the character to hold together a crumbling nation. 
Lincoln was virtually obsessed with saving the Union. What better training ground than a difficult marriage that required such tenacity from him every day? It's important to see that not only did Lincoln's difficult marriage uh, not deter him from achieving greatness, one might argue that it actually helped prepare him for greatness. Lincoln's character was tested and refined on a daily basis so that when the true test came, he was ready to stand. And uh, what is true about Lincoln's difficult marriage might be true about the difficult circumstance, whatever it is in your life right now. I know there are some listening to me now who are struggling with a difficult marriage. And I can only imagine the pain and I don't presume to know God's will for you. But I encourage you to take a fresh look at your marriage and what, or whatever your difficult circumstance is right now. And how maybe, just maybe, it might be part of God's plan to draw you closer to him and bring you closer to the goal of being the best person that you can be in Jesus Christ. Now, after all this, I have to say, if you are single, uh, I'm not really recommending that you look for a bottom feeder to marry in order to, uh, you know, be the better, a better person. Uh, my wife will tell you that that does not always work. Uh, the point is that following God's will leads me to the best way of life by making me the best person I can be. But I short circuit. God's blessing in my life when I choose a selfish decision grid instead of following the first guide to God's will, which is maximizing my relationship with God. Guide number two. Guide number two is to always choose to maximize love to others. This guideline appears in uh, verse nine. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Uh, When it comes to the 17,000 decisions that come my way, I never go wrong when I choose the option that is the most loving response. The way to know God's will is to know his holy word. And the Apostle Paul wrote something that should be a great comfort uh, to those of us who have not yet become Bible scholars. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, whoever loves others has fulfilled the scriptures, the commandments, do not commit adultery, murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment in scripture there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the second guide for God's will is to choose whatever is most loving. This applies to Debbie, uh, who must choose whether to care for her father in her home or place him in a care facility. If Debbie chooses the most loving thing, she will be fulfilling scripture, including God's commandment to honor your father and mother. But Debbie has to realize that when multiple people are involved, discerning the most loving response requires a lot of wisdom. Why? Because sometimes what seems like the most loving thing to do for one person can actually be unloving to someone else. 
For instance, it may seem like the most loving thing uh, would be for Debbie to bring her father into her home. But Debbie has two kids uh, who must also be considered. And wisdom may actually determine that bringing Debbie's dad home uh, could be unloving to Debbie's children at this stage of their lives. Maximizing love to, as a way of following God's will requires us to proceed with wisdom, to seek the most loving thing uh, in keeping everyone uh, involved in that decision process. Another reason why maximizing love requires wisdom is because sometimes the most loving thing involves confrontation or refusing to help a person in a way a person is asking. One of the ways that uh, God loves me is by confronting me when I need confrontation. God loves me by not giving me everything that I ask for. Likewise, I need to ask for that kind of wisdom, because sometimes real love means tough love in the form of confrontation, and sometimes it means refusing to give a a, a person what uh, he or she wants in order to give that person what they really need. All right, the third and last guide toward God's will is always choose to maximize your God-given purpose. Now, this guideline appears in verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. Now, here I need to quibble with the translation here. Uh, To me, mind your own business uh, sounds a little defensive and uh, does not really convey the meaning here of the Greek text. So in your brain, would you scratch out mind your own business and replace it with a literal translation of the Greek words. Practice your unique part. God says in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 11, make it your ambition to practice your unique part. And these words form an important guide toward God's will. Always maximize your God-given purpose. Now, God has given all Christ followers uh, the same three general purposes, uh, and they are reflected here in uh, verses 11 and 12. What are those three general purposes? To receive God's grace through faith in Jesus and then share Jesus with as many people as possible. That's evangelism. The second purpose for all Christ followers is to study and apply God's word and then help others do the same, starting with your own children. That's discipleship. Third general purpose for all Christ followers. Become an active part of Christ's body, the church, by loving, serving and giving your resources to God's work. That's stewardship. Uh, For me and for all Christ followers, uh, it is uh, God's will for us to fulfill our purpose of evangelism, discipleship, and stewardship. But by God's grace, you have a unique part to fulfill in these general purposes. To fulfill God's will, He's created you with a unique set of strengths and abilities and gifts and talents and preferences and passions. And it's God's will for you to practice your unique part in His plan. 
There are always voices that are going to be pushing you to good things, which are not the best things, because they are not the things that match the unique purpose that God has for you. And sometimes these voices are inside uh, your own head. And you need to turn off those inner voices of inferiority or competition that push you to follow paths that do not reflect the unique way that God has created you. Know yourself in Christ. Work with God to discover what you're good at, what you like, what you're passionate about. And as you discover these things, you're discovering God's will for your life. And this applies to Ethan's decision. Uh, Ethan would be making a big mistake if he devoted all his energy, uh, volunteer energy, to saving this homeless shelter by becoming a food service manager. Because Ethan is not an administrator. And if he takes that food service manager job, he's preventing the person that God has already picked with organizational skills uh, to take that very job. Ethan is gifted with people. He needs to follow his passion and his unique gifting to be a tutor and a big brother uh, for a group of under-resourced teens. It's his unique part in God's will. So the big question is, are you growing? To know better your unique shape for serving in the body of Christ. Do you know how to employ your gifts and strengths and passions? Do you know your weak areas to avoid? In order to follow God's will, you need to have in mind your unique part. And then do it. Do it with joy as God opens the doors in front of you. Brian and Carolyn and Debbie and Ethan, they can all know God's will. And so can you. You can know God's will for your life. Now, don't misunderstand me. Following God's will is not some lightning bolt or voice that comes out of the blue. It is not an instant flash. It is a day-to-day walk. It's a day-to-day walk with Jesus. Remember, that's the first point. Relationship. It's to be done in a relationship with God. But as you walk with Jesus, as you consistently apply uh, the three guides for God's will revealed here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you can have the adventure of experiencing God's best for your life. God... God's guides toward His will are to always choose to maximize your relationship with God, always choose to maximize love to others, and always choose to maximize your God-given purpose. And as you do that, you have the joy of living in confidence and peace and real meaning and purpose as you follow God's will for your life. 